0: Today we're continuing our series for the season of Epiphany uh, called Shine a Light, where each, each week we're talking about a different light that Christ has brought into the world and how we as his followers can receive that light and then shine it out for others to see as well. Um, we, we've covered a number of lights because we're, we're drawing near to the time of Epiphany, but today we come to one you may not have thought of. Um, I know I didn't think of it until doing the sermon series here, and that is the light of God's law. I'm grateful for none of you booking it to the exits right now. Uh, <laughs> I hope this, this, uh, this will give us a little different way of thinking about God's law and how it functions in the, in the Christian life. Friends, I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the fifth chapter of Matthew's gospel beginning with the 17th verse. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of the letter will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of the commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother or sister, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser when you are on your way to court with him. And your accuser may hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. The word of the Lord. Thanks be, thanks be to God. To... We all hesitated just a little bit to say thanks be to God there, right? I hope we come away with this text with some, with some good news, though, friends. I was thinking back this week to the summer after I graduated from high school. It's always such a magical time in a young person's life, right? My friends and I had this grand idea of forming a slow-pitch softball team. Most of us had played baseball, maybe not that well, but we'd played and we thought, you know, well, we're these young guys. We're going to school all these these old folks and and, uh, we're going to have a lot of fun doing it. Well, we won a total of one game. And that's because the team didn't show up. <laughs> the other games, we, uh, that the mercy rule in, went into effect a majority of the time, but we still had a lot of fun. It was a great time and great memories there. One of my favorite memories, though, of this team was as we were forming, we were practicing and getting our, our gear together and our stuff and our plans and everything. And we learned from the league of an important rule. You might call it a law. We had to have uniforms, matching uniforms. We were all broke 18-year-old kids with no money at all to our name, so we were scrambling. We are thinking, well, we can grab white T-shirts and and use Sharpies and and whatnot, but my friend and I had a stroke of genius that came just about by accident. When we happened to be going to the video rental store, yes, I'm not that young, (laughs) I do... There were video rental stores. The store was, was desperately trying to get rid of box loads of t-shirts. We were grateful to receive them before we even knew what was on them. When we opened the box and took out a t-shirt, to our delight, the t-shirt was promoting the new Disney animated film, Brother Bear. So our uniforms, that even became our team name, Proudly said, Brother Bear with a big paw print on it. And like true teenage boys, we cut off the sleeves and wrote numbers on them. And this is before Facebook. Again, I'm not as young as you think. This is before Facebook, so there is no existing photo evidence of this to my knowledge. (laughs) Thanks be to God. (laughs) I thought of this this week because it was... A time when a rule or a law had to be followed. That's typically how we think of laws, right? We, we follow them because deep down we know even if we may not love it, whatever the, the rule is in our society, whether it's a civil law or just a, a decency thing in our culture, we follow it because we know that deep down it makes the world a better place, a safer place, a more decent and an order place to live. So we're talking about laws today, but we're not talking about these kind of laws. We're talking about God's law. That's what, God, that's what Jesus is talking about in our lesson. He's talking about God's law. See, God's law to the people of, um, of um, Israel, to, to the Jewish people, then and now, was considered to be a blessing. This is the very thing given to the people of Israel as they were escaping from Egypt. When they were in the wilderness trying to figure out who they were, God came to them and says, I am your God, you will be my people. People, Everyone will know you're my people by following these laws, these rules, these ways of living that became a very source of identity for the Jewish people. It was, their way of, it was their way of relating to God and relating to one another as God's people. It was seen as a gift, a blessing, uh, the, the source of life itself, even. If you fast forward to our lesson, though, by Jesus' time, in the beginning of the first third or so of the first century of the common era, There were some elite religious groups around, like scribes and Pharisees. You could even add the Sadducees, who Jesus doesn't name here, but uh, you could throw them in as well, that took the following of God's law, or the Torah, or the first five books of the Bible, they took this following of the law to the nth degree. They were proponents of a staunch legalism that followed the law so closely that they forgot about They followed the letter of the law so closely that they forgot about the spirit of the law. What is this law trying to do in building a people together and building them in relation to one another and to God? So that's what was going on in Jesus' time. Now fast forward a little bit as Matthew writes his gospel. Those of you attending my Sunday school class have gone through some of this history, but The first third of the the first century is Jesus' life and ministry. The last third of it, from about 68 or so on to 100, the end of the first century, is when the Gospels were written. So Matthew is writing this Gospel 40 to 50 plus years after Jesus' time. It'd be as if you were trying to write a story about your grandparent or someone in your grandparent's generation that you had either met as a very young child or didn't meet at all and just heard stories about. So Matthew's trying to capture all of this about Jesus, but he's writing to a very particular people. See, the early church after Jesus' time was struggling with what to do with this law. Matthew's community in particular was composed primarily of Jewish Christians, that is, Jewish folks that had come to believe in Jesus as Lord. So they had this law, this, this blessing, this way of identifying, yet they were following Jesus as Lord, and they didn't know what to do with it. Some, if you read Acts, were, were even considering whether or not the law still applied. So if the, the scribes and, and Pharisees and Sadducees were a little over-reliant on the letter of the law, perhaps Matthew's community was a little too focused on the spirit of the law. Bring all that together as Jesus makes a statement here, as Matthew depicts Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount here. As he says, what does he say? I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Not abolish, but fulfill as disciples of Christ, friends, we know that Jesus doesn't just come to fulfill the law and the prophets, but rather he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus is this very fulfillment of everything that God has been up to. So when we read the law, when we, when we think about God's law, we do so through the lens of Christ. And in this way, both the letter of the law and the spirit of the law are both affirmed and I would say even enhanced and strengthened and expanded. We see see God's law through the lens of Christ, through the light of Christ. And what is that light, friends? Love. After all, at another point in Matthew's gospel, when someone asks him about the commandments, Jesus sums up the entirety of God's law by saying, Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. We got it. We see all of God's law through love. You can see here what Jesus is saying when he says that your righteousness, your way of following and living into God's law, must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. It's not necessarily bad-mouthing them, but saying you can't just live into the letter of the law You have to keep trying and striving towards the spirit of the law as well. Through Christ, we are set free to live into God's law. We're set free to do this, to love God with everything we have and love our neighbor as ourselves. Will we do this perfectly? Absolutely not. We'll keep falling short. That's why we say a prayer of confession every Sunday morning, friends. Yet we trust that God is at work in us as we keep trying to live into this law, keep strengthening our relationship with God and one another through love. That's who we are. In this way, the law, God's law is a blessing. It is a source of identity for us. Jesus goes on to give six different ways that you can live into this 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 law of love, this, this way of seeing God's law as, as, through the light of love. I only gave you one here. I figured we had enough to wrestle with with law and all that, but you notice when he, he says, you have heard it said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder. Well, seeing the letter of the law, you would just say, don't murder and you're good. What Jesus is saying is, no, you take it further than that. He says, he says that anger... Insult, judgment, reco- uh, failing to reconcile with one another, all these things, if you don't do them, if you're angry, if you insult, if you fail to reconcile, you're falling short of this command, of this law. Through the lens of love, then, when, it, when we hear, you shall not murder, it's not just about that letter of the law. It's about doing everything in our power to strengthen the lives of those around us, to affirm and, and help and strengthen the lives of everyone we meet. That's what it means to live into this higher righteousness. And as I said, we won't be perfect, we will keep falling short, yet we strive and strive and strive towards this righteousness together. Now how do we do this? What does this look like, friends? How do we live into this this law of love, this, or this lens of love, of seeing God's law. We might think about it in big ways. When we, when we try to strengthen and affirm the lives of everyone in our midst, when we hear of horrific events in the world like the earthquake in Turkey and Syria, we might think, how can we help as, as individuals, as a congregation and community, how can we reach out and help and share love and grace with that community? And we can do so through, um, our, our, through our church and denomination through the Presbyterian Disaster Assistance and encourage you to check that out uh, later uh, if, if you would like to, to help with that. Today we're, we're also uh, doing collections and, and uh, purchasing soup and stuff for the Super Bowl of Caring. This started as a small thing, but it's turned into a big one. It started in a Presbyterian church when a seminary intern was praying with the youth group on Super Bowl Sunday. And as he prayed, he said, As we watch this football game, God, help us not forget our neighbors around us who cannot even afford a bowl of soup to eat. We can affirm the life, the lives of those around us through big ways, but we can also do it through small ways too, can't we? The way we interact with one another when we see each other on the streets, just a simple gesture, a smile, a nod, a handshake, a greeting can go such a long way in affirming the life of your neighbor. Finding ways, as Jesus says, to reconcile with our neighbors with whom we disagree and we know there's a whole lot of that going on today. Finding ways to reconcile or at least trying to understand your neighbor with whom you disagree goes a long way towards affirming their life and how God is at work in their life. Though we'll continue to fail, friends, we'll continue to fall short. We can strive towards this higher righteousness. We can strive to love God with everything we've got, and we can strive to love one another and affirm the life of of our neighbors. We can do so in big ways and small ways. And through this, we can trust that the light of God's love has reached us. The light of God's law is being lived out through us. May we keep growing. May we keep trying. And may we keep asking God and one another for grace and mercy along the way. Amen.